morning, everyone. This morning's reading comes from Mark 11, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this, say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied to a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he said on it, Sorry, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, He went out to Bethany with the twelve. All right. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Um, I seem to have woken up this morning without my voice. So we're going to give this a go, Um, and if you miss any bits, just know they were the really good bits. So, uh, yeah. Happy New Year, though. It's uh, it's good to be back. Um, As Adrian said, I would like to echo that. Thank you for allowing me to take a break. Uh, It was much needed, and I think I spent it well. Um, But it's also really nice to come back and see all of you. Um, I hope you had a really good Christmas, and I hope you were able to celebrate the New Year well. Um, Does anyone make New Year's resolutions? No? Or there was a very emphatic no over there. (laughs) Um, I haven't made any this year. Um, Has anyone ever managed to keep a New Year's resolution all year? No? I I read a study a couple of years ago, uh, came out of Cambridge, I think, that said um, something like 90% of New Year's resolutions are abandoned by the 19th of January. Um, So you've got four more days, guys. (laughs) Um, But whenever I read this passage, um, it always reminds me of of New Year's resolutions. Uh, Not because we read this passage at New Year's, we usually read it in the lead-up to Easter, don't we? And and by then all of our resolutions are well and truly forgotten. Um, But because of the way that the crowd responds to Jesus in this passage, um, and then in the next few passages, There's just something about that that makes me go, yeah, these guys have made a resolution. Yes, this is it. It's all about Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. And then five days later, Jesus who? We don't know him. Go ahead and kill him. Um, It's it's kind of like whiplash. Um, It's like watching tennis, but the ball never goes back. Um, It's a a bit of an odd, odd thing. And in fact, I think sometimes this whole passage feels a little bit odd. Um... One of the commentaries that I read uh, this week, um, the author actually said, it, it feels almost like a parable, like there's, there's something else there that we haven't quite got, 
Now, it's not a parable. He was not saying that it's a parable, but there's something in there that almost feels that way. Um, and if you look at it, what is this here for? Jesus comes into town, everyone cheers, he looks around the temple, and then he leaves again. Um, yeah. It's, it's easy to read a passage and go, I don't know what to do with that. Um, but the thing about this passage is that it is like an onion in that it has a lot of layers that you can peel back. And yes, that was a Shrek reference. Thank you, Nerida. <laughs> um, so we're going to peel back a couple of the layers today. Um, and I want to start with the outer layer. And I'm calling it that because even though it might not be super obvious as you just flick through your Bible and read it, it's the easiest one to access um, because a lot of Bibles have footnotes um, and there's a lot of commentaries that have been written. So we're going to talk about scriptural references first. Um, there's actually quite a few references to the Old Testament um, in this passage. Um, the words that the crowd shout when they say, uh, Hosanna, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that's taken straight out of Psalm 118, uh, verses 25 and 26. And it's actually um, the passage that the Jews then, and even still today, will recite at the beginning of their Passover celebrations. So it's a well-known, well-loved passage. Uh, they're not just shouting random things. They're, they're really they're acknowledging who Jesus is. Um, if you look at the donkey, um, this, it doesn't say uh, donkey in Mark, but in, in um, other accounts of this moment, it does mention that it's a donkey. Um, and that's actually also significant. Um, because if you flick back to, uh, let me make sure I get this one right, Zechariah 9, you will see um, that there's a prophecy in, in Zechariah 9 that talks about the coming Messiah. Um, and I believe it's verse 9, it actually says, he comes lowly riding on a donkey. Right? So again, we've got this instant acknowledgement of, of who Jesus is. He's the fulfillment of prophecy. He's the Messiah. He is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, this one is also a little bit obscure, um, but it is there in a number of commentaries. Um, in amongst all of those many, many kings that we see in the books of one and two kings, uh, there's actually a king called Jehu or Jehu or Yehu. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, but um, what happens is his followers spread out their cloaks on the ground in front of him and they proclaim him as king. Um, and so again, we see this imagery of these, this, these garments being laid out on the street in front of Jesus. We don't do that for anyone. So, oh, someone who's coming into town, get your jacket off. That's not what we do. This is something that we do for, for kings, for rulers, for important people. And so... I think these references are really, really important because they indicate a revealing of Jesus' identity. You might remember earlier in his ministry, Jesus does things and he says things and then he goes, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone who I am. He says, my time has not yet come. Um, keep it a secret. Don't tell anyone who healed you. Um, he's not doing that here. He's, he's doing the opposite. The pendulum has swung all the way back and he's going, here I am. I'm the one you've been waiting for. He's, he's fulfilling this prophecy. He's allowing the people to publicly declare his identity. Um, he's claiming his identity as the promised Messiah. And um, I think that's quite significant, um, especially given his history of not being ready to do that. 
um, it's, it's kind of a statement that says, this, now is the time. Now is my time. Right? This is a moment that's full of expectation. I think we can see that in the response of the crowds. Um, so those are the scriptural references, and I think they tell us one really important piece of information about this. That's who Jesus is, um, and, and that this is his moment for something. Doesn't tell us what yet. Um, but there's some other stuff also going on here that I think is probably a little bit harder than for you and I to kind of figure out because it's cultural stuff. Um, we've been lucky enough to have Max's parents visit us. Uh, they've been here for a couple of weeks now. Um, and we've spent those couple of weeks explaining little things that to us are automatic. And it reminded me of, of my first couple of years in Germany when I also didn't understand little things. And it was incredibly frustrating to have to go, you know, at the breakfast table, what kind of jam is that? Which one was the strawberry jam? Because I can't even read the words on the label. How do I buy a train ticket? Because I don't know. How do, how do you top up an Opal card? Um, some things that are really innate and automatic to us are just weird and confusing to people who are not from this particular part of the world. Um, and the same can be true for this first century um, Jewish culture that Jesus was a part of, or any culture, really. Um, whether we're talking about a modern culture or, or any of the other ancient cultures, there's, there's going to be stuff there that we don't understand because we're not from there, because we're not part of that culture. Uh, but thankfully, there are people in the world who devote their whole lives to studying these things, um, and so we can access that information. Um, and I think that there's a few little things in here that are quite significant, and then one thing I think is quite a big thing um, that we're going to look at um, that I think will help us to understand what this stuff might mean for us. And so again, we're going to start with this donkey, this cult. Um, and it mentions, I don't know if you would have noticed as, as Stephanie read that out, it mentions that this animal has never been ridden before. Did anyone pick up on that? Did that stand out when you were reading it? You and I might go, okay, great, it's a young one, no one's ever ridden it before, cool. Um, but if you read through the Old Testament, and you don't even have to read in depth, if you skim through the Old Testament, you'll see quite quickly this emphasis on purity and on cleanliness. They have all of these rituals um, for, for cleanliness before they can go into the temple, for how they're allowed to approach, to approach God, for what kind of sacrifices are acceptable to God. It's all about purity, it's all about cleanliness. And so an animal that has never been ridden is pure, it's clean which means it's suitable for sacred uses. Sacred uses like maybe transporting the Messiah into town, right? Um, not significant to us, very, very significant to first century Jews. Um, I think also um, there's this thing that, this is one that has always stood out to me whenever this passage is read, and it always confuses me because it's not how I would react have you noticed the disciples, they go into town and they just take an animal. It's just like, I'm taking this. It's, it's coming with us now. And someone goes, where are you taking that? And they go, oh, the Lord needs it. And the person just goes, righto. Like, no worries. I would be there going, no, who's this Lord? That's my donkey. Um, turns out, um, culturally, there was this practice where it was really normal and acceptable 
for people in positions of power, like rabbis and even visiting kings and dignitaries, to um, requisition animals for temporary service. The king needs to borrow your horse. We'll, we'll bring it back later. Um, you know, um, so someone comes up and says, the Lord needs your donkey, and they go, okay. I don't know that that would work in our culture because anyone could go up to anyone and say, the Lord needs this and take it. But clearly this was a normal practice for them. Um, so normal that when someone came and took a guy's donkey, he said, sure, right I'll bring it back later. Um, but perhaps I think the symbol that's most interesting and most, I think, relevant um, to what we might take away from this passage today is these palm branches. And if you're sitting there going, I don't remember palm branches in the Old Testament, don't worry. I'm, I'm not going to say they're not in there. They're probably in there somewhere. Um, but it's, this is not an Old Testament moment that it's referencing. Um, it is, however, referencing a really significant moment in history for the Jews. This is a moment that happened about 150 years before Jesus. Um, Israel was under Syrian occupation. And we know that the, the Jews and the Romans in Jesus' time, I mean, it wasn't great, but there was kind of a level of, of peace there. Um, there was a level of acceptance and the Jews were allowed to practice their religion and, and everyone was kind of tolerated. Um, the Syrians were not like that. In fact, the Syrian ruler Antiochus was a pretty nasty guy. And he had hundreds and hundreds of Jews killed. Um, and he didn't want the Jews practicing their religion because he wanted everyone to practice the Syrian religion. And so he even went so far as to desecrate the temple by sacrificing a pig on the altar. Um, and, and we know from the Old Testament that um, when you brought an animal to sacrifice on the altar, uh, the priests would then get to eat the meat after the sacrifice was complete. Um, and Antiochus actually made the Jewish priests eat the meat from this pig that he sacrificed. Now we know, again, from the Old Testament that pigs are unclean. Even today, pigs are, pork is not kosher. Um, Jews don't eat pork. This is horrific for the Jews. Um, so this guy was a really bad guy. And obviously the Jews were not very happy living under this guy. And it started out in the country, not in the city, but out in the country where the Syrians had a little bit less control. There was some grumbling. Um, and eventually the Jews banded together and they were led um, by a guy named Judas Maccabee. And they rebelled. And they had to fight pretty hard. But they actually managed to chase the Syrians out, I was going to say out of Egypt, that's not the place, out of Israel. Um, which is pretty amazing for a very small, untrained group of Jews against a highly trained, highly organized, highly connected Syrian army. Um, but they did. Unsurprisingly, Judas Maccabee, national hero, absolute hero. Everyone loved him. Um, they have all these historical records of the name Judas. Everyone named their kid Judas after that. It was a very popular name. Um, but after the victory, Crowds waved palm branches to celebrate. And, and these palm branches became a symbol of that uprising. And later, Judas Maccabee even had palm branches, the images of palm branches, stamped onto coins to commemorate the victory. 
that's the kind of symbol that really lasts. Um, and I was kind of thinking 150 years, no one was alive from, from that generation, would they, would they remember? Um, so I started thinking, well, what, what happened here 150 years ago? Um, anyone learn about the gold rush in school? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, gold rushes were happening kind of 190 to about 130 years ago. So 150 years ago, gold was being discovered right across Australia. Uh, the New South Wales state flag, anyone seen that? Yep, we adopted that about 150 years ago. Um, does anyone reckon they know, I'm not going to ask you to stand up, anyone reckon they know some or most of the words to waltzing Matilda? Yeah, yeah, I reckon I do. It's about 130 years ago, that one, so a bit more recent. Um, these are not things that we think about every day. They're not things that are on the news every night. Um, but they've woven themselves into the fabric of our country, haven't they? And, and they've, they've informed who we are as a nation, um, and, and they've remained a part of kind of our, our cultural fabric. And so even though they're not things that we talk about every day or think about every day, when someone mentions those things, we go, oh, yes, of course. Um, and if you see an artwork of, of the gold rush, you kind of go, oh, yes, the gold rush, right? Um, the same would have been true for an uprising as significant as this. Um, this would have been something that remained a part of their cultural fabric. Um, records of this have survived until today, um, and, and there's indication that it kind of was a well-known event for these people. So let's just think really carefully about what's going on here. Israel is occupied by Syria, and a man who many believed was called by God to lead them out of this oppression, rose up and led them in a military victory to claim their freedom. Then we fast forward 150 years and Israel is once again occupied. This is an ongoing pattern for them. This time by Rome. It's not as bad as Syria, but freedom is better. Um, the, the ability to govern themselves is better. And there are many people in this culture who have um, been praying for God to liberate them, who have been looking for the one who has been promised to come and liberate them. And out off in the sticks, way up in Galilee, where no one wants to go, there's rumours of a guy doing miraculous things. And we all know that gossip travels faster than the speed of light, so everyone has heard about this. Um, and he's, he's doing things that people can't explain. And it's all a bit hush-hush, but the word has started to spread. And he's got this really tight, devoted group of followers who are absolutely convinced about who this guy is. And now here he is, riding into Jerusalem. We're waving palm branches. We are ready. This is it. This is the moment. It's about to happen. Kind of sounds like a movie, doesn't it? Just when all hope is lost, the hero shows up on his majestic white horse. He's got an army and he's ready to save the day. Of course, we know that's not what happened. And I'm sure there were some people who were very disappointed by the fact that that didn't go the way they had thought. Um, but if we look closely, 
we, I think we actually see that the things that I've pulled out of this text, the things that these people were seeing, are not all there is to see. It's really easy to see what you want to see, isn't it? When you're in a crowd and you're looking for someone, everyone looks like that person. Right? Our eyes can deceive us. Um, and these guys, they've been looking for a really long time. A really long time. And so they're probably desperate for the Messiah to come. But if you look a little closer, I think things start to make sense. Because Jesus, he wasn't riding a well-groomed, stunningly beautiful white horse. He was riding a donkey, which Zechariah describes as lowly and humble. It's not a symbol of, of power or victory or kingship. It's a symbol of humility. And what does Jesus do when he arrives in Jerusalem amidst all this fanfare and celebration? He doesn't pull out his sword. doesn't even tell us that he had a sword. He just kind of does a sightseeing tour around the temple and then leaves town again. What a letdown. And I wonder what happened to the crowd in that moment. And we don't know, but I can imagine some people just kind of left there going, what do I do now? I guess I just go home and keep going. I don't know if any of you have ever been a part of a protest march. Um, before COVID, Max and I used to um, go every year on Palm Sunday um, to the Rally for Refugees and march um, in support of fair treatment. Of, of refugees um, and it, that's what happens you march to the place and everyone's cheering and yelling and then you go all right see you next year and everyone goes home it's it feels a bit strange but I imagine that's what must have happened here but these people they're disappointed not because Jesus disappointed them they're disappointed because when they looked at Jesus they saw what they wanted to see. And I wonder whether that's something that we do as well. I know that we're not sitting here expecting Jesus to ride in on his horse and free us from our oppressive overlords. Um, we don't need that here in Australia. But I wonder what kind of Messiah each of us might be following. And I wonder whether we're actually following the same one. Are we following the one who happens to have the same political agenda as we do? The one who, if he was here today, would vote exactly the same as me on every election? Are we following the one who agrees with us on every single issue? Jesus is on my side, and if you disagree with me, well, he's not on your side. Or are we following the one who's above all of those things? Are we following the one who comes to liberate the oppressed regardless of whether you and I agree with him on that? The one who demonstrates that fullness of life 
is brought forth by laying down power and privilege and prestige. Because that's a really hard message to hear and it's an even harder one to actually follow. That the Jesus in my mind might not be the real Jesus. That maybe I've misread some of the clues in the things that I've seen. The crowd cried out, Hosanna, save us. Right? Hosanna means save us. And they cried that out a number of times. And I think maybe we should do the same. Save us, Jesus. Save us from our own ideas about what you should be. Save us from our foolish expectations of glory, of victory on the battlefield with you at our side. And save us into faith in the real Jesus. So I think there's two key things that are happening in this passage. The first is that Jesus is claiming his identity. And he is telling us exactly who he is. Yes, he is the one who was promised by God to save us. He is the Messiah, the one sent to save not just first century Jews, but all people who choose to follow him, you and I included. But he's not a king in the sense that we might understand, not an earthly king. He's not a general ready to fight anyone who disagrees with him. He is a humble servant, and he is a king. He's a king on his terms, a king as defined by God, not by humans. And I think that is an invitation to us to look at him, to really look and to put aside our expectations of what we think Jesus might be and to really look at who is standing in front of us. Because the second thing that's happening here, I think is, it's almost a warning. Don't allow yourself to put your own ideas onto Jesus. Don't allow yourself to think that you have the power to define who Jesus is. And I don't think any of us do that consciously, um, but it's pretty easy, as we said, to see the things that we want to see. It's pretty easy to open up the Bible and cherry pick the verses that make us feel good. And I, I, I think all of us are guilty of that at different points in our lives. What's not easy is to set aside those things and look at everything, look at all the clues and see what's really there. And so perhaps this year, if you are, well, I think we've established that most of us are not inclined to make resolutions, um, but if you are looking for a resolution to make, um, may I suggest that you resolve to see the real Jesus wherever he may be working, even if it makes you uncomfortable, even if it means that you need to go places you don't really want to go, even if you're not sure that you like what he's doing. Because he has told you who he is. And the question to all of us now is, will you believe him? 
Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you so much um, that we have your word available to us to see um, the things that you are saying uh, to us, the ways in which you have acted on our behalf, um, and the message that you have for us. Um, Lord, we thank you especially for Jesus, uh, for his birth that we have just celebrated, for his life and the many miracles that he performed. Um, and Lord, as we, we come towards the, the end of the book of Mark, Lord, we thank you especially for his um, ultimate sacrifice of, of his life for our lives. And Lord, we ask that um, today and this week and this month and this year, Lord, you would help us to see the real you, um, that you would strip away the things um, that we believe that are actually not of you um, and help us to follow you more deeply and more honestly. Um, Lord, show us uh, the things in our lives that we might need to let go of um, so that um, we can hand them over to you and have a deeper understanding of who you are. Uh, Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.